Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. Brought to you by The Practical Herbalist at thepracticalherbalist.com. Sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of high-quality, organic bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. Visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. Episode 2. Summer fruits are abundant, especially amidst the dog days of August and into early September. Blackberries and peaches are coming on, as are plums and early apples and pears. All these delicious fruits have medicinal properties a practical herbalist can use throughout the year. We discuss how you can use your summer harvest to make medicine even the most skeptical, picky patient or question. Later in the show, we'll have Herbalism 101 and Herbs in the News. Now, here are your hosts from thepracticalherbalist.com, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. Hi, I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. So, Sue, today we are going to get to talking about some summer fruits. It's the high point of the harvest is really in full swing. What have you been putting up? Oh, my goodness. It's been quite a year for fruit to be developing. We've had longer seasons of some things, and because of the different rain that we've had in the Willamette Valley here, a lot of stuff is so much larger this year than last year. Um, I've been putting up applesauce. That's my big thing this year because I have a lovely little apple tree in my backyard. And I've been I've been drying things, uh, blueberries. I've uh, been freezing a lot of berries, raspberries. Blackberries are coming in right now in my area, and I know that blackberries. If you just have your elevation tiny little bit changed, then you're going to have black fruit in one area and red in the other. And I'm in the red right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know? So the blackberries are awesome for helping deal with stomach aches. That's one of those things I like to add to jams and other things when I know that I've got family members who are sick throughout the year mm-hmm. and I have a hard time getting them to take their medicine. Yes. Getting them to have a little piece of toast with a touch of blackberry jam can help out at the tail end of a flu. Mm-hmm. Apple's another good one. How do you use apples? Well, apples, we have a couple of different recipes that I have in my household and we have a basic applesauce recipe at, on our website and um, I have a couple ones that are marked ginger apple, uh, ginger applesauce and that's for when people are sick and they have a stomach ache then kids will go for that one and those are canned in smaller containers there's some applesauce that's just plain applesauce and that's for uh, using in recipes it, it, it is just used as a sugar substitute or a fat substitute uh, it's mentioned in one of our recipes for zucchini as a fat and sugar substitute, and it just makes such a nice texture anyway. Uh, there's also there's also um, there's applesauce that we have that's just the cinnamon and nutmeg and ginger combination that's a lot more sweeter, and we use that not only as a dessert applesauce, but for when people are just feeling a little bit peaked and their stomach is upset. And the applesauce that has the cinnamon in it um, is wonderful for people that have low blood sugar because it goes quickly into the system. And applesauce is fabulous for treating both diarrhea and constipation. That's right. So the fiber and the way that it deals with the digestive system. Yeah, that's another one. We've we In our household, we typically use applesauce. I can't get my family to eat it when they're well, but when they're sick, especially after gotten through the worst hump of it, you're on the recovery end, Mm -hmm. it really helps out. It's one of the ones that I can typically get 
them to eat. Yeah. So that'll help. Um, another one that we use is plums. Have you guys used plums much? A bit. We have some plum jam that we've put away, and I also make a cordial, a plum cordial with a bunch of different spices and that that's very popular as a Christmas present. One of the wonderful things about the berries that you can collect is that they're so expensive to buy in stores, right. but they're cheap to gather. Right. I like to have the raspberries and the blackberries on hand. Mostly I use those as more of a well food to keep us healthy so that we don't get sick. Yes. But getting the extra antioxidants and the vitamins into my guys through, you know, pies and jams mm -hmm. and other treats that I've made from frozen berries is a heck of a lot easier than trying to get them to take supplements. Yeah. <laughs> and drying them is excellent as well. We take dried apple slices and put them in our stews and soups to sweeten that up and it also brings out more of the vitamin content of the other items in the soup as well as acting as a bit of a thickener so I always have dried apples in my pantry to use in that way as well as a fabulous nibble food dry fruit in our life that I personally dry seems to show its way into granola which for some reason my family just eats by the truckload and that's great yeah, it's, yeah it's granola great. is actually quite healthy for you it's expensive another thing that's extremely expensive to buy in stores and if you buy it in stores it seems seems to be very high in fat yes and added sugars and yes. salts which i find really awful yeah <laughs> it doesn't taste as good i all you need is just a um, a good base that you could have with a honey or something that's easy agave syrup for example something that your family would cook with on its own there's a lot of things that people put into commercial granolas that you definitely wouldn't have on your shelf right so for if you're paying big money for something it should be something that you feel very very comfortable eating right right so one of the things that I wanted to talk about today is how we can get our more picky family members and patients to take their herbal medicines. And that's part of what I was interested in with the fruits. What are, do you remember or do you know what some of the fruits are good for, like peaches and nectarines? Right. Pe peaches and nectarines is something that we have at the Occupy Medical Clinic, and we keep them in those little lunchable size containers. They're fresh and or they're I guess they're canned um, but they're juicy little bits that's very easy for our patients with dental problems to eat and digest because it doesn't take any uh, chewing in order to get into the body right. and if you're very high in vitamin A and yep. people with the dental problems often they can't take the other sources of high vitamin like oysters if you're unhoused or if you're in a difficult spot financially oysters is one of the things that are going to go off the list yeah. fairly quickly. <laughs> but canned peaches and, and canned apricots are, or canned nectarines are very, very high in those vitamin sources along with the vitamin C, and it goes down very smoothly. Right, and peaches also, they contain a lot of potassium, which I know is good for their bones. I think that's what it, the part that also helps them be good for diabetics. Is that correct? There's a, Well, there's a variety of different... Uh, minerals that people who are diabetics they just have a hard time pulling things right. out of their food in general your pancreas is the thing that's having trouble when you're diabetic and if that's not functioning properly then you're really having a hard time pulling a lot of nutrition out of your food right. so that might be why i know that I've, I've read that peaches and nectarines are one of the fruits that are most 
positive or most helpful to people with obesity, prediabetes, and diabetes because they don't encourage, they actually encourage weight loss and they digest well, mm-hmm. I believe. And it's why. an easy form of plant fiber to digest. Right. Um, some of the other ones, the strawberry harvest is coming up with our second wave, and those, of course, contain lots of vitamin C and vitamin A, making them an excellent way to get extra vitamins into the family, mm-hmm. um, whether they're sick or not. Yeah, and uh, strawberry rhubarb pie is an excellent way to get <laughs> Right, and actually rhubarb a long time ago in America and in Europe, rhubarb was used to help prevent diarrhea and help deal with that. Mm-hmm dysentery i think was the biggest one Mm -hmm. so that was from bad water supply right yeah yeah for my son my youngest son he will take any form of smoothie if it has strawberry in it there you go that's his selling point yeah that's another one that i wanted to talk about is how do we how can we best preserve these fruits for use as medicine that our families may not recognize as medicine which is maybe a good thing yeah smoothies freezing them are, are strongly advised because you've already got the cold factor in there and my kids will grab handfuls of different kinds of things and throw it into the blender we have the personal size blenders as well which they enjoy just throwing their own version of what they want in there but when someone's coming down with something then I make it in the larger blender and throw all kinds of things in that they wouldn't normally like like echinacea powder or Uh, spirulina or alfalfa powder something that they normally wouldn't throw in my middle son is good about adding maca powder to all of his smoothies because he's a firm believer in the power of maca Mm -hmm. but uh, my youngest he as long as it has a strawberry then that's considered a smoothie (laughs) so yeah freezing is a great one canning actually works surprisingly well with fruits like apple they it continues to have a majority of its nutrients yes that's very true and it makes it an easier pie to cook you can cook it a little faster because the apple pie timber is already soft right so if you've got an emergency pie you know your life depends on that emergency pie then throw in some canned apple pie timber in there or uh, apple crumble or an apple crisp from if it's already canned that eliminates some of the cooking time sure and that you know being able to do those kinds of emergency pies are actually they're really good for when you're going to have a big fatty meal like we often had through have throughout the fall and early winter mm-hmm. with all the celebrations it's usually times where you have so much stuff that's heavier and harder to digest so if you can throw in some applesauce or an apple pie or right. plum pudding or yes those will help your family digest better and not feel so ill very true <laughs> for people that get ulcers apple is wonderful because, or if they have esophagus problems because there's pectin in the apple and that's very healing. You get pectin in surgical bandages, for example. Right. It's extremely healing. Another reason why a slice of apple is such a great thing for a split lip because it's cold already and it helps mend the split on your lip and then when the person is done with it, then they can either throw the apple slice in the compost or they'll eat it it depends on their inner vampire right and the apples also they have um they have the property of pulling cruddy stuff out detoxifying yes astringent and actually pears are really they're very high in pectin and they're more cooling and anti-inflammatory than apples so it's one of those ones that the pears will be just coming on they're starting to come on in this area Mm -hmm. and they're not as 
widely sung, I guess you could say, heroes That's <laughs> in true. terms of helping people feel better. Yeah, they have a, a much stronger fiber, and for some reason that's a turnoff for some people. They don't like the, the stringy fiber in pears. It is easy to mask if you blend it with applesauce. The same thing if you're making a, like an apple butter, an apple mm-hmm. pear butter is yeah. a really nice thing to add together or with quince, for example. I mean, you certainly can't, well, you can, but it won't be a, a lengthy meal. Uh, quince is one of those items that's so, so astringent and so tart that one bite of a quince will convince you that cooking is really the only way to consume it. Right. You know, actually making a few, putting up a few cans, a few cups of pear quince jam, or not jam, pear quince sauce, would be really good for people for your family when they're getting over that cold and they've yeah. got the excess mucusy you know a little more mucusy conditions still yes. lingering you're trying to get rid of them yeah because they're very astringent and the pears are also good for getting rid of that stuff yes and it's also tomato season mm-hmm. right now and tomatoes easily lend themselves of course to salsa and salsa is a fabulous salt substitute it is also a fabulous way to when it's nice and spicy, it'll drain your sinuses. Cayenne is normally added to salsas, at least in my family. We've got a variety of different salsas that we make. Some have pineapple in it. Some of it has mango in it. Some of it has corn in it. And they're marked on how hot they are. And in my family, the super hot ones are the ones that disappear. And I make mine in smaller jars because the kids will eat it. Just It's like gazpacho. Right. They'll just sit there and they'll start with the chips and then end up spooning it into their mouths, which great. I'm I'm all about that. Right. Yeah. The different ingredients like the tomatoes help reduce hypertension. Cilantro is good for reducing heavy metals. Garlics and onions both prevent bacterial infection. Cumin and coriander that are often used in salsas are both carminative, which means it helps the digestion, helps you not get gassy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... It's, yeah, really the circulation seems to help the most. And I really cannot stress enough using it as a salt substitute for, for cooking or for adding onto eggs or different things like that that people normally would salt up. Hypertension is very common in our clinic, and right. salsa is easy to get. Yeah, salsa is a nice, nice one. And actually, the pears are also good for hypertension. They have yeah. a lot of folic acid, so those would be good ones for people who are in the fertility years. Mm-hmm especially women. Correct. So, yes. Um, so some of the spices that we add to, I add anyway, to my various preserves are things like ginger and cinnamon and cardamom. What, and, you know, like I put clove in my applesauce often because clove has nice, it tastes good, but it also has numbing properties. Mm-hmm. And I figure if you're taking applesauce because you've been ill, you want things to be not hurting as much. So a That's little bit true. of cinnamon will be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, clove is one of those that I think different families have preferences for. I personally do not like clove that much. Right. It reminds me, because I'm from that population, that when they went to the dentist office, you had you had clove that they used to numb. So I always associate it with a dental visit. <laughs> <laughs> I can see where you might not like clove for that, but cinnamon. I mean, who can complain about cinnamon? Oh, cinnamon is so wonderful. I give blood fairly regularly, and I bring a cinnamon stick with me afterwards to help bring my blood sugar back up. Right, yeah, because it does. It stabilizes the blood sugar levels. Mm-hmm. So excellent, especially, like you said, for people diabetic, people who have like hyper and hypoglycemia problems. Yep. 
Yep. And ginger, I used to take candied ginger and put it in my desk drawer. I had a high anxiety job at one point, and I would just open the desk drawer and take a piece of candied ginger and chew on that, and it just seemed to help out quite a bit. Right. Ginger is very grounding, and especially if you're getting over illnesses, that's a good time to be more grounded and healing. So ginger will definitely heat you up. It's not one that you want to take as often in the summer, but you can take cardamom instead in the summer, which is cool and carminative. Mm -hmm. Or spearmint. I mean, the spearmint is also cooling, and it's a good digestive. Yes. Um, And we have, I've added spearmint and peppermint to some of my sauces. I've also made jams with spearmint and peppermint and chutneys. Oh, chutney. We didn't talk about chutney yet. Oh, yeah. Chutney is just a an open bowl of yumminess. There's so many different things you can add to mm-hmm. chutney, and every time I've tried a different type of chutney, I've been extremely pleased. Yes, and the fruit chutneys usually go down really easily in my household, so I don't struggle with trying to get them to take their medicine at all. Right. Or get myself. Sometimes I don't want to eat my fruit. Yeah. I'm bad. Yeah. I, for years, associated chutney as something you put on top of meat. So since I'm a vegetarian, it was never something that I tried. And then I finally was, my eyes were open to the real splendor and variety of chutney and the things that you can put on lentils, example. Something that comes out a little bland when I'm cooking for some odd reason. I'll just throw the chutney on there. And all of a sudden, it's magnificent. Right. Well, we have our chutney on toast like jam. Oh, yum. Oh, it's divine um lemon balm is another one that can be really good Uh, my lemon balm patch is right in a really sunny spot so now everything it's all in flower and it's it's done it's done but there's still spots if you've got a shady patch Mm -hmm. a lot of the shady patches i've seen or higher elevation higher elevations yeah elderberry is in as well right currently depending on where you are and Although the bloom is not on the elderberry right now, it, it, some of stuff is ready to be picked. It's it's black and it's falling off, and you gotta you gotta battle the birds in order yeah. to get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Elderberries are another good wild one that you can get. Yeah, and we yes. mentioned cordial really briefly. This is the time to start cordials if that's something that you give to people as presents. Right. And cordials right. are extremely simple to, to make. You now, can even you make can the make turtle. Them, I know you can make them with the elderberries. Which of the other fruits are good for cordials? Um, I, well, I, uh, plum one that, any of the, uh, peach, I've had a peach cordial before nice. that had a brandy base, and that was quite delicious. I think the trick with a good cordial, I've seen them primarily fruit-based, is adding a spice in there. Uh-huh. Pear and ginger are just wonderful pairings they fab they're perfect together and that is the one cordial that i've made year after year that i haven't found a person that is not interested in and taking a hefty swig of it's delicious nice an asian pear is specifically asian pear that one has more of a crisp taste to it those are coming on now too i believe they are starting up yeah um the other thing i was thinking about was the syrups syrups are so easy to make they are yep and you can i mean i've i've used frozen fruits to make syrups as well Mm -hmm. but now is a nice time to get the fresh fruits in there and make those syrups up for use i mean i've earlier this summer i made cherries you know i made cherry infusion that will become a syrup when i add honey to it later in the year when folks get sick are you adding the cherry bark to that as well are you just using the fruit 
that syrup, when I make the medicinal one, it becomes a much more complex syrup because I will add the bark as well. Okay. But the fruit is really useful, i found, mm-hmm. um, for helping. Certainly with yeah. gout. Yeah. Yeah, we see some gout in our clinic and both the cherry syrup from the fruit and then the uh, bark on its own or combined together makes a really nice uh, help for people that don't have access to other ways of treating gout. Right, yeah. Yeah, the pears are also a good one for the gout. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Asian pears, you mentioned them, and I wanted to come back to them because they have a lot more medicinal properties than one normally gives them credit for as well. They are really good at detoxifying. They help dissolve mucuses. So when you've got the tail end of a cold, Asian pears are an excellent one. Um, They're diuretic. They also help lubricate your throat, and so they can help deal with the dry cough sort of thing mm. with illnesses. Their co- copper content is high, mm-hmm. which makes them really good for people with anemia, right? Yep. Yes, and if you dry Asian pears, they turn into little pieces of candy. Yes, they, they're ridiculously sweet. Oh, they're amazing. That's, that is a simple thing to get a kid to try. If they won't try any other kind of dried item, they will try dried pears, dried Asian pears specifically. Right. They are delicious. So when it comes down to it, we have a wealth of opportunity to get good herbal medicine into our families. Yes. And, of course, you start with good fruits like apples and peaches and raspberries, blackberries, plums, Asian pears, all the ones that we've mentioned so far. And you can add to them a variety of spices. Yep. Um, And then can them up, freeze them. Get them now. Asian pear in the market, they sell them with their own little foam packaging around them. It's extremely it's and astonishingly they're very expensive. expensive. Yeah. Astonishingly, they're very but expensive. If you've yeah. got a tree somewhere, yeah, yeah, yes, and they do. They make a wonderful mead too. Yeah. So if you're a mead maker, Asian pear mead is very, very good. And you don't have to press the Asian pears before like you do with apples, right? And you can bake them up deliciously like you would a normal baked apple recipe. It's splendid. Lovely. That's a good sale. I'm sure so, yeah. for the, the the family. So this is a good time of year for us all to be putting up our medicine for the upcoming year, and I don't even know what else to say about that. Well, I want to mention (laughs) to people that if you don't have time to turn things into jam, then you can always freeze it for later. Yeah, and we do have frozen stuff that we'll do take it, turn it into jam during the cool season. Right, and even the dried plants can be added to jam later on. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not going to be as juicy, of course, but if you want to add a little bit of flavor into your jam. I've added the... dried elderberries straight in, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, very true. Stuff. You'll have to soak them in water first before mm-hmm. adding them to your recipe. But, yeah, that's also another great way to make a jelly is to take the, the dried fruit and then soak it. And then there you go, that, that water you soaked it in. You can squish it, and it's already. Let's talk a minute about grapes. Those are just starting to come in as oh, well. Oh yeah, my grape vines this year are ridiculously loaded. We had uh, the city came by; they were so huge. Normally, we keep them trimmed back, no problem, and they grow grew like wild. The city actually came through and lopped off a whole bunch, and I still have a ridiculous number of grapes out there because yeah, my grapevine well. goes into the over onto the sidewalk. What kind of grapes so, are you growing? Table grapes. 
just we've got white and and red table grapes what do you usually do with them I end up, I've made mead with them, which is delicious. We've done a lot of um, raisins, which is also really, the raisins that you make from your own are far better than anything I've ever gotten from a store. And it shocked me, because the store ones are pretty good. Sure. And then we have um, turned them into jelly, of course. You know, how can you not have grape jelly? I mean, it's like, what, the biggest selling flavor on the market? Only ours actually tastes like grapes. Yeah. I've had some of your grape jelly. Yeah, and then... The other thing we did this last year, which I found a recipe online for, was grape pie. So I froze grapes. Where is that recipe usually from? Because I haven't heard of it before. It's a southern one. I think North Carolina, but I'm not positive. North Carolina. I, it's been a year since I looked at where it was from. But it was a, it was a southern pie recipe from mm-hmm. like southern home living or something like that. Hmm. And it was really good. It was very simple. It was pretty much, you know, frozen grapes. Just like you would do frozen cherries or anything else. Do you have to take the seeds out of them? um, Mine are table grapes. They don't have seeds. So you freeze table grapes and then take them out. You know, I think it was four cups. And your sugar or honey, whichever one you're using. Mm -hmm. And then um, a little bit of starch. I think I used some corn starch or some flour. Yeah. Something else to thicken it. Maca powder would probably actually thicken it really well. Oh, I'm sure it would. And I know that one of the snacks that the hipsters have been eating is frozen grapes, just table grapes. Mm -hmm. They put them in a Ziploc bag and then they just randomly take them out of the freezer and nibble on those and they're delicious that yeah. way I, I, w- I wouldn't have thought of that I wouldn't but have thought thank of you that, hipsters for thinking of that all right we haven't talked about vinegars yet either those this is the time to preserve fruits in vinegars right as well. you've had some really good fruit vinegars you've done hasn't it uh, yes you? I have I, I first started the first thing I ever did with a vinegar was a nasturtium flower and fennel leaf vinegar and it was very spicy and yet it was easy on the stomach because of the fennel that makes sense so it was simply delicious on salads and i ended up slicing french bread i'm not a big french bread fan it doesn't have a lot of uh, flavor to me but dipping that strictly Mm -hmm. not not with the oil just strictly in the vinegar was delicious it really made it just a carriage for flavor as far as i was concerned still not a french bread fan I haven't done a lot of vinegars. I did do um, strawberry vinegar a few years ago, and I made a strong strawberry vinegar, and it was so good. Yeah. We used that for a lot of dressings was the main thing. I gave a little can to a fella that had was trading. He gave me some nettle roots, and I gave him some little can of strawberry vinegar, and he just stood there and drank it right like it was. He's like, oh, my God, that's so good. Yeah, there's nothing so. like it. I know that if you have balsamic vinegar you can flavor that i have used cranberry and other dried fruits to flavor balsamic vinegar and balsamic vinegar has its own very distinct taste and the dried fruits really complement that more of a salad vinegar than anything else or a dipping vinegar makes sense yeah what kind of vinegars do you typically use like have you ever used white vinegar for food use i made an apple vinegar with just regular white vinegar and it was okay i think if i experimented with it added some more spices but i just had a bounty of apples so i was trying to think of what else i could add to it i think that if i had put peaches dried peaches in there that would have made it a lot different i'll have to experiment and let you know what that's like we also of course i've mentioned this before the asian 
pear tree that we have. I've put that into a vinegar before, and that's very tasty. That makes sense. Yeah, usually yeah. I start most of my vinegars. If I'm going to be eating them, I'll start them with a cider vinegar rather than white vinegar. Because I've read a lot of conflicting information on how white vinegar is created, and some of it looks like it's a pretty chemical process. Yes. Um, but for vinegars that I know that I'm going to be using for cleaning, like when I make the Four Thieves vinegar, I just use the white vinegar. Yeah. Do you know about the white vinegar, whether it's really scary? I'm not really <laughs> sure. I, I, I haven't looked into that. Apple cider vinegar is extremely easy to make, and we have a recipe okay. for that on our site as well. Oh, sure, yeah. That, just you start off with, with cider, though. With cider I mean, and yeah. just leave it in the refrigerator until it turns to skin, and then there you go. Skim right. off the skin, and you've got your own apple cider vinegar. Very right. simple. But mark it, or what I've discovered is someone will, dis- will find it in the refrigerator and then dump it out. Right. You have to mark it. This is for cider vinegar. Do not yes. dump. Yes, and actually you don't even have to leave it in the fridge. You can just process it out and leave it until the skin is there and it's got its acidity. It can just sit out on your, as long as it's in the house. I wouldn't put it in the garage or in a hot place, but in a place where humans it's don't mind cool. living, you're okay. Yeah, we have problems with fruit flies at this time of year. And yeah. apple cider vinegar, any of the vinegars them. makes a really great draw for the fruit flies, but... Yeah, I try to keep any of that stuff refrigerated or covered heavily. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, so vinegars are really, they're really good. Yeah, and we have a lot of different recipes and suggestions on our website, and I would encourage people to skin around and try different things. Try pomegranate as well. There's so many different types of fruits and vegetables that are available right now that you never know. They might be the bee's knees as far as throwing it in a vinegar indeed indeed so yeah take a look at the practical herb list online at our recipe section and then also take a look at some of the properties like for apple we've got a nice um encyclopedia page on the apple and strawberry and i think we've got raspberry as well yeah and if people have some suggestions for us to try i encourage them to go to our facebook page and send us a couple of options maybe their own favorite recipes and we'll be happy to pioneer some of those as well Indeed. Herbalism 101. Herbalists use a variety of terms to describe the properties of herbs. We discuss flavonoids, how to recognize them in fruits, and why they're important to good health. If you want the dirt on herbs, send your questions to realherbalismradio.com slash herbalism101. We'll do our best to answer your questions on a future episode of Real Herbalism Radio. Today, Sue, I'd like to delve into this whole flavonoid thing. We talked a little bit about flavonoids in the fruits that one would harvest at this time of year. And the word antioxidant is about as common as the word the in (laughs) health articles this time of year. Yeah, that's in a lot of ads. Yeah, can you talk a little bit, explain a little bit about what antioxidants are, what flavonoids are, and why we really care, why we should remember this? Well, flavonoids are part of antioxidants. Antioxidants is a huge group of plant components and uh, you also have antioxidants that are minerals like selenium but for flavonoids that's a specific group of chemicals that are inside of plants plants with color because flavonoids are a particular color they are yellow and you have to have some kind of color in order to attract a pollinator so citrus or grapes or different plants like that have to have a specific color and those colors have properties that interact in our body in very interesting ways. There are three types of 
uh, flavonoids. There are the bioflavonoids, which are sometimes just called regular flavonoids, isoflavonoids, and then the neoflavonoids. And they just exist in different types of plants. And what makes those three types of flavonoids so special? What is it that they contain that's so important? Well, the different types of flavonoids do different things in different kinds of plants. For instance, the um, the isoflavonoids are more particular to the pea family, and those uh, seem to work in similar ways that they would work in our body. For instance, with our body, flavonoids are really great for our cell walls. They used to be called vitamin P back in the 30s up to the 50s. They don't call them vitamin P anymore, but it was vitamin P for permeability of capillaries. And now we know that those uh, flavonoids do so much more in our body. They help us with blood pressure. They help us with in, uh, inflammation, regulating inflammation. They're antibiotic. They're antiviral. There's a lot of research about how they protect us from cancer. There's just so much that we just don't know about our body. But in the plant, different flavonoids work to um, send messages to bacteria in the soil. For example, this isoflavonoids that I mentioned before, the pea family and the beans, etc., send out are send out flavonoids, and those are messengers to the bacteria to come in and make those little nitrogen nodes that peas and beans are particularly noted for. And in different other types of flavonoids, it's we have found that it sends messages from the roots up to the leaves. There is all kinds of different things that it's doing for the cell wall of the plant itself, as well. That we're still discovering. It's fascinating stuff. So the word ketone, that shows up in conjunction with flavonoid yes. a lot of times in these articles. That's what they all have in common. Okay. So, and there's uh, a lot of press right now about how ketones will help you against uh, aging improperly or protect you from cancer and things like that. But a ketone is really one of the things that all the flavonoids have in common. Okay, that makes sense. And then, you know... As mammals and not plants, mm -hmm. how do these flavonoids really help us? Or what, what? why would I want to be so certain I've got flavonoids in my body? Yeah, my as diet? mammals, our circulation system is a little bit different than some of the other um, critters that are out there. And it really helps um, not only the circulation that's just in our blood, but also in our digestive system. So more flavonoids that we have in our body, the healthier we are at digesting and getting um, uh, copper and iron and different minerals like that to all the different parts of our body. They are always telling you, eat more colors. So you eat all of the rainbows. And that's just telling you, eat plants that have flavonoids in them because it's healthy for us. So what I'm really looking for is I want flavonoids. They cause my vegetables, like some of the bell peppers and my fruits like peaches for instance to mm -hmm. be yellow mm -hmm. and I want them in my body because they're anti-inflammatory and they help stop viruses so they help my cells just remain strong right and that's probably where the anti-aging thing comes from is mm -hmm. your cells remaining strong and when I see the word or think about the word ketones the important part there is just that it is a component that all flavonoids have yep. that helps to keep my cells strong yes and I know the press, again, is all about the anti-aging thing. But the real important thing for the practical herbalist is it just keeps us healthy. And that is the bottom line. Mm-hmm. All right. Herbs in the News. We discuss the responsibilities doctors have 
for having research that backs their claims, the responsibilities herbalists bear for citing scientific research to back their claims or recommendations, and the gray area in between. Recently, last June, um, a congressional hearing investigated Dr. Oz's miracle weight loss claims, according to a CNN article that was published in June 2014. I wanted to talk a little bit about the territory between doctors and herbalists, especially now that herbalists are beginning to be accepted into clinical environment. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Oz is so much contention, too. Yeah, he appeared in front of the Senate, and the Senate chastised him for making these extraordinary claims about weight loss herbs in particular. And they felt that he was pulling the wool over people's eyes and just trying to sell these supplements without a good foundation. And um, in many ways, I feel he embarrassed the herbal community by making unsubstantiated claims in the ways that he did. That's true. I mean, I I don't disagree with you. I know that herbalists have been accused for many years now of making crazy claims about what plants can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Even when science has backed us up, we've still been, we herbalists, have still often been considered little nutters. Yep. Um, at the same time, now herbalists are making it into the mainstream medical areas like the clinics like the clinic that you run but also the one in cleveland that's just opened up some section for chinese medicine and other herbalism Mm -hmm. doctors are beginning to talk about herbs and and suggest that herbal supplements and herbs in general can be helpful dr oz Oz is making some pretty outlandish claims some of them do seem somewhat crazy and, and huge some of them he even admits don't have any scientific fact behind them Yeah. Well, the green tea extract one was the one that was most significant, and he pulled his information from a meta-analysis, and that was published in the uh, GRP paper, and it said at the very end of it, at the end of the abstract, which is basically your introductory paragraph, more rigorous trials are needed to assess the usefulness of green coffee extract as a weight loss tool. And even in the the paper itself where it talks about how helpful it can be, it says repeatedly that the efficacy of these products remain uncertain over and over again. More research needs to be made, but if you look at what he talked about for green coffee extract, he's saying it's magic, it will help you lose weight. There's no question in his mind the way he's presenting it to the audience that it it's the thing to take and and don't even look anywhere else here you go this is a great product and he described himself as being a cheerleader however giving people information that is not substantiated doesn't necessarily give them hope it gives them false hope they he if he's going to talk about weight loss he needs to be talking about exercise he needs to be talking about how to change your diet and make your life better and getting out of the house, but instead he's just throwing pills out there and calling them magic. I think one of the things about Dr. Oz and the claims he's made and the public awareness that he's brought to herbalism, both positive and negative, that drives the herbalist nuts is the fact that he is a doctor, which carries with it certain expectations. And then he's making claims that herbalists could potentially make and get away with. And not even, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing, but they can. Mm-hmm. 
we expect him to have, you know, we expect him to have hard science behind everything he says Mm -hmm. because he's using the title doctor. And he's got a whole team of researchers behind him. He's got a lot of money. He's got a trailer full of people that look that stuff up, and yet he still chooses to make these unsubstantiated claims, and people trust him. And that's something that we are upset about as a community, the Senate is upset about, and we ourselves as herbalists can learn from that by making sure we're doing research and that we're very careful about the words that we use to describe things that we feel are important for our patients. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I I find myself struggling with him because on one hand, he brings to modern America acknowledgement that herbs do work. work, And I know they do. And sometimes for myself personally, it's my own experience. I've tried this. It worked. Mm -hmm. You know, peppermint worked great to help ease some of the digestive issues that my husband had when he was younger. So I say peppermint works. Do I have science? No. Was it a controlled study? No. It was, here, honey, have some peppermint. Oh, look, it worked. Right. Oh, I did it a few more times. Oh, look, it worked. And that's great for your household, but there's a lot of stuff out there that does have information and research behind it. And we, if you know about it, share it. If you don't know about it, find out. It's, right. We just have to be practical by continuing to learn and share the information as accurately as we can. Right. And he should, too. I think that when it comes down to it, if you're using the title doctor, you should be very careful about the herbal claims you're making, and all of your claims should be solidly substantiated by science. I agree. I think if Dr. Oz wanted to become Oz the herbalist and he wanted to make other claims that were not as substantiated, that would be okay, so long as he's not using the word doctor and he's not using his credentials as a doctor as a part of support for himself as an herbalist and the claims he's making. I think the Senate agrees, too. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Herbalism Radio. Your hosts have been Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. To find more information and recipes from today's episode, or to leave a comment or suggestion, visit us online at realherbalismradio.com. Feeling social? You can also find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash thepracticalherbalist. Don't forget to look up our ebooks and herbal folios at amazon.com. Use the search terms practical herbalist. This episode of Real Herbalism Radio is sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of high-quality organic bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. Visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. If you would like to sponsor Real Herbalism Radio, just contact us through our website at realherbalismradio.com slash contact. Till next time, this is Patrick with Real Herbalism Radio and the practicalherbalist.com.